Thank you. Yeah, my name's Tim. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church. Um, we're going to be continuing our, our Father series together, which will be in Matthew chapter 6. Um, I'm going to jump straight into it. So Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 25. The words will be on the screens if you don't have a Bible with you, but it might help you to follow along if you do. So I'm reading from verse 25. So this is Jesus talking. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, who was a very rich king, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying... What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus says... Do not be anxious, which is one of those kind of quite pious, religious-sounding things that Jesus says quite often, that on the face of it sounds quite nice, and then you look at it a little bit closer and looks pretty impossible. Have, have you ever met someone who didn't worry? Because I don't think I have. I think it's, it's pretty much a universal thing. We all worry not to greater and lesser degrees. You might know people who worry a lot, people who don't worry a lot, but there are things about which we're all concerned and which occupy our minds and our hearts. Now, Jesus is particularly talking about sort of food and clothing. Uh, he starts off, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. He's just been saying, um, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and possessions. You've got to follow one or the other. So he's saying, in that context, picking who you follow, don't be anxious. But he's not... For all his kind of examples are all about food and clothing, I think it applies much wider than that. So anything that you might find occupies your, your worry, your anxiety, he's saying you don't need to, whether that's, I don't know, your family, your job, or trying to get a job, education perhaps, your future, what's going to happen next, where might I find a purpose for myself, whatever it might be that you might worry about, Jesus says, don't be anxious. So why not? Because that is an easy thing to say. So why not? He gives us six reasons. I want to talk about one of them, but let's just uh, kind of look through the passage and get all six out. So first of all, verse 25, he says, um, for life is more than food. Or in other words, don't be anxious. Look at the big picture. It's like someone, you're out in the countryside with someone, they're trying to point to uh, the big view that you can see from wherever you've got to, and they keep saying, look at that, isn't that amazing, doesn't it look beautiful? And you're saying, yeah, but there's a hole in my shoe. Jesus is saying, life is, life is more than the thing that's real and a problem. 
but more insignificant than you think. He's saying, look up and see something different. Life is more than food. Second reason not to worry. Verse 26. Uh, look at the birds. They don't really seem to do anything to get food, and yet they get food. Are you not of more value than they? Second reason not to worry. You are of more value than the things which God clearly does look after. Or to put it another way, don't worry because of who you are. So if you follow Jesus, the Bible would say that you are a child of God and that he will look after you. would say that you are greatly valued by him to the point that Jesus said that for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. What he was talking about is you and me. He saw you and he thought, you know what, this thing I, I don't really want to do, but I know I need to. I'm going to set my face and do it for you. You are of that much value to me. Don't worry because you have value. Number three, it doesn't really work. Verse 27, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Worrying does not make you live any longer. In fact, I think, if you ask the doctor, it probably does the opposite. Um, it, it, you can't sort of make yourself... I don't know, it's not like, if I thought, I want to be taller, I don't know why I would, actually. Uh, anyway, it's not the best example. But if I thought, I want to be taller, I'm like, it's not going to work. I can't make myself grow. You can't make your life be longer by worrying about it, which doesn't work. Number four, uh, he says, uh, verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. So he's talking to Jewish people at the time. Gentiles just means people who aren't Jewish. But basically, it, it's pagan. Worrying says that God is not God. Number five, uh, not the last one. Uh, so I'm just going to skip one because it's the one I really want to talk about. But last one, verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. So don't worry, because today has plenty enough trouble on its own, which I think is, is kind of helpful. When Jesus says, don't worry, he's not saying that, actually, don't worry because everything's easy, or don't worry because it's not difficult, or don't worry because there isn't problems and trouble. He's saying, today has plenty of trouble. Why worry about the stuff that's coming tomorrow? Why waste today's grace on tomorrow's problems? He's not promising a life without trouble, but a life looking up and then the sixth one the one I really want to talk about today it says your heavenly father knows that you need them all or to put it a different way don't worry our father provides don't be anxious because our father provides and we can trust him because isn't that what isn't that what fathers do? They provide. If you were, you were trying to describe uh, a sort of very generic dad to someone, I suspect one of the things you might say is, well, he puts food on the table. I think it's kind of the basic standard for what we might think of as, as a good dad. He, he puts food on the table. Is he a good dad? He puts food on the table. Now, there might be circumstances where people aren't able to do that, but generally, that is what fathers want to do. They want to, they want to provide. They want to make sure that there is food available. They want to make sure that their children have at least the basic things that they need, that they've got clothes and things to eat and somewhere to live and that sort of thing. That's what fathers do. So if, if our father is God... Is that not what we'd expect? I don't know. It's not something I ever thought about as a kid. 
the fact that my dad put food on the table. It's just something that happened. And I guess children have absolutely no comprehension of how it happens. They just kind of, I don't know if they thought about it, maybe dad sort of goes outside and, and finds food in the ground and brings it back. The, sort of the, the process is not something that they'll have figured out. But somehow, there is always things to eat. You're always able to be looked after, at least for the basics. I found, just, just this week actually, thinking about this, that our Father provides, requires a slight shift of thinking. I don't know if you've done the same thing, but I've often thought, oh, God provides. And it's very easy when you put it like that in your head to think, well, God's kind of, even though I know this isn't true, God's kind of distant. So yet he provides in a very general sense. And maybe I get some of that. Or even he provides for people, but will it, will it be for me? Will he provide for me? How will, I, I don't really have assurance that that would be the case. Perhaps, perhaps it isn't for me. But if you say, my father provides, it sort of moves from, so God provides, I think, is, it's almost a bit of a stretch. It's like, it's kind of hard to imagine how, why that would be connected to me. It requires a bit of a jump. My father provides, well, obviously. Barring circumstance, perhaps, but that, that is what fathers do. My father provides. And then when I put those two thoughts together and think, hang on, my father's God and he provides. Maybe I don't need to say barring circumstance. Maybe actually, whatever I'm facing, he can provide for me. Because he's God. I, I don't know if you think like that. I get caught up with the whole, but look, he's busy spinning galaxies. That sounds tricky. Sounds like it would take time. There's so many things in the world he's got to arrange and make happen. Why would he provide for me? Well, because he's my father. He says he provides for the birds. He's not their father. Sorts them out. But he's your father. So how much more will he provide for you than he does for the birds? And actually, if we look at our experience, if we follow Jesus, putting aside the specific things Jesus is talking about, is our experience not that God provides for us? Has he not already done so abundantly? Did he not choose to send his son the one for whom he created the universe so that he'd have some people to tell how great his son was, did he not send him to die in our place so that we could be abundantly provided for, freed from the things that bind us, and given a place to live with him forever? Has he not chosen to set on us his spirit so that we can know the way that the Father feels about the Son, the joy that overflowed into creation in our own hearts and then find that changing us day by day. Has he not provided for us abundantly? Well, he has in the spirit. And Jesus is saying, why wouldn't you expect that to be true in the rest of your life as well? Now, here's the thing. 
if I say something like that, if you're anything like me, you can get, I can mishear that. I can hear that as, God will give me whatever I want. And that's not quite what he's saying. He's saying God will provide what I need, not what I want. And I, like I imagine everyone here, want plenty of things that are good things that are not necessarily things that I need. And so he is not promising that he will give us those things. Now, I do believe that God gives us good gifts, and so he may well do. But what he's promising is he will give us what we need. And then perhaps, depending on your, your experience, that might raise an objection for you. I wouldn't be surprised if I've been talking a few minutes. I wouldn't be surprised if you, you almost from when I read it, said, but that's obviously not true. There are people who don't have enough. So how can this be true? And it would be very easy to come up with an answer that sort of dodged the question. But that's a really good question. And I'm actually not sure that the kind of big, neat theological answer that takes us away from the question, which I could give you, is that helpful. Because I think what we should do when we find texts in the Bible like this where we go, wow, that's great, but I don't see how it lines up with my life, is wrestle with them. And actually perhaps avoid the, the neat answer because it doesn't line up with our life or some people's lives that we know. And so we should, we should do that. If you are finding that you're in a place where actually this is not true in your daily experience, well, it says it, and my basic position is if it says it, it is true. But the fact that those things don't connect, we need to wrestle with that. And that means dedicated time with God in prayer and asking others to pray for you. And it means looking at the scriptures and figuring it out and taking time to read it and let it form us and see what we think. And sometimes it means saying to Jesus, I don't get it, but I choose to believe this is true. Would you do it for me? And here's half an answer. It's not a whole answer, but it's half an answer. He says that, that God the Father feeds the birds. And how are birds fed? Well, partly because they go and find their own stuff, but sometimes other people feed birds too. Maybe you do in your garden. Maybe you put out food for the birds and birds come in and get fed. So at least some of the answer to why is this not the case for everyone? Why are there people in the world who it looks like God the Father does not provide food and clothing for? At least part of the answer is, well, aren't we supposed to do something about that? Jesus ends, I'll get to it in a minute, Jesus ends with, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When we corporately seek God's priorities first, we will take care of those among us who are in need. It's not a whole answer, but I think it is part of an answer. Actually, the fact that, that this doesn't maybe line up with our experience should provoke us to do something about it. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Your father provides. When we worry, which I think we all do, what we do is... We say that he isn't a good father. 
That's not, we're not saying it kind of out loud, we're not intending to say that, but that's what we're kind of subconsciously doing in our minds. We're saying he isn't a good father. The root of anxiety is unbelief. Worry is practical atheism. That might be hard to hear because we all do it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I think we all know that something is wrong if a child is worried about whether or not their father is going to manage to put food on the table. There's something in that circumstance which needs fixing. If we are worried that our Heavenly Father, who knows our needs, is not going to put food on the table, he's not going to provide for us, then that might be because of our past experience, but we're saying that he is not a good father. He knows our needs. He is capable of doing anything. And he says he'll give us what we need. So we should trust him. Do we trust him? Will he care for us? Well, we should grapple with these questions. I imagine from lots of us, the answer is sometimes. <laughs> we trust him sometimes. But we need to trust him. If Jesus says, do not worry, because your father provides, well, how do you not worry then? What do you do? How do you go about that? How do you move from the natural human response of, oh, these things that are in front of me, I don't know what to do about them, and oh my word, that might happen, and that, and that, and that, and that. How do you move from that actually quite natural mindset into something different? How do you turn anxiety into trust? Jesus gives us at least an answer. Verse 33, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not be anxious. Here's some reasons why. Seek first the kingdom. He's, I guess he's saying, if you put me first, I will take care of you. Which shouldn't surprise us if we think about who we are. If we believe that we are the children of the Father, if we believe that Jesus is our older brother, if we believe that he has structured the universe in such a way to win himself a people and to make them into, to all look like him. Essentially that you and I are the reason for everything that you see. If we think that's true, and if we think it's true that we live in the kingdom of God, which is sort of interrupting and erupting into the world as we see it, so that the power of God is available and present in the world as we know it, and that this world is changing into something more, and that all of us are changing into people who will live in that kingdom if we're following Jesus. If both of those things are true, then well, why, why wouldn't he look after us? If we know who we are and we know where we are and we seek first the kingdom, which means put God first, why would we not expect him to meet our needs? But turning anxiety into trust is not, I guess it's, it's not about so much doing different things as it is about having your, your heart changed, moving from fretting to faith, I guess. How do you do that? 
Because we say these sort of things, you know, we, we read things like seek first the kingdom and you think, okay. We, I say, turn anxiety into trust. You think, well, okay. Um, do I sort of screw my eyes shut and squeeze really tight and then somehow it comes? Like, how do I do that? How do I, how do I make myself trust? Well, other than the, I suppose you don't. But here's some things that can help you. Firstly, trust comes by the Spirit. It's a gift from God. If we ask him for it, I believe he'll give it to us. And if we keep asking for him for it, I believe that he will grow it. So it comes through dr- dynamic encounters with the Spirit. You know, times when other people lay hands on you. Times when, like the one we had in worship earlier, when the Spirit comes on us with a sense of, of joy and peace. These things build trust in our hearts. How else? The disciplines of the Christian life, by which I mean things like choosing to read your Bible, not so much to learn, just to be find that these words are something more than words, and they form you, and they change your character. Choosing to pray, and find that as you spend time with God, it's less maybe about what you're asking, and more that as you talk to him, you find again that, that your character and your heart is formed and changed, and becomes a little bit more like him, just inch by inch by inch every time. Choosing to gather with other Christians, like you all are right now, or like you might in a home group in the week or at other times, where actually being around other Christians who are equally struggling, probably, with trying to trust God in their own circumstances, but yet as they speak truth to you and you to them, you find that collectively our characters are formed to be a little bit more like Jesus, inch by inch by inch by inch. And that as we do that, trust builds. Choosing to worship God together, choosing as we'll see, for, well, none of you will be here, I suppose, but as some people will see this evening, to, to watch people baptized. Choosing when, on those occasions when we break bread together, things that help us have our characters formed so that inch by inch by inch we trust God that little bit more. In other words, it's not a quick fix. It's not a kind of, oh, great, now I trust him. But slowly, 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 as we follow Jesus, we find we become more like him. And we trust him a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. You know, trust is it's hard. And we shouldn't try and say that it isn't. In fact, it's dangerous. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that. Because trust leads us to hope. And hope hurts. <laughs> and you can hear from the reaction that plenty of people have tried hoping before. And then the thing that you hope for hasn't happened. And it hurts. And you think, can I risk doing it again? And maybe you try and it hurts again. And you think, why am I trying to do this? Here's, um, here's one thing I have learned. Preparing for pain is spectacularly ineffective. Because <laughs> um, I, I don't know if you've ever been in that case where you've, you've thought, I don't know if I can trust because trust will make me hope and hope will hurt. So I'll just choose not to because it's kind of like, I know the thing won't happen. I know it won't work and it will hurt. So if I just don't do any of that, I'll be kind of prepped for it. It's like I've put my barriers up, and when the bad thing happens, it'll bounce off me. Um, I have found that that (laughs) really doesn't work. Um, I suppose it's it's a little bit like if uh, you've gone on a flight somewhere, and the flight attendant at the start, they're doing the whole thing where they point at the exits, and they're, they're showing you all the stuff that you might need to use if something really bad happened. And you're a bit worried about the fact the plane might crash, and you think, you know what? I, I just, maybe I'll just put the life jacket on now. 
and inflate it. And then you, and I don't know if you can get those oxygen masks out, but somehow you sort of, you're banging on the thing to get it out, and you look at the little card, and it says, sit in brace position if you're about to crash. So you spend the whole flight sort of sat there like this. Well, yeah, you look a bit of a fool, um, but actually if the plane crashes, you gain nothing. You will not be in a better position than the other people who will have, you know, a few moments to get the stuff out. And you won't have helped, and you've probably got yourself cramp. Um, <laughs> I have found that living in brace position is really uncomfortable. Um, and, and we laugh because I'm making it sound silly, but I have tried it and it doesn't work. And I think lots of us try it. And going, you know what, I won't trust, I won't hope, because he won't come through for me. You know, trust isn't, it isn't apathy, it isn't those birds waiting for the food to drop into their mouths. Actually, they work quite hard at it, though the plants Jesus mentioned straight afterwards do literally nothing. So sometimes we have to do stuff, sometimes we don't. There's, there's, it might sound a bit obvious, but we have to use a bit of wisdom to figure out what the response is. But it's not always sitting still and just kind of waiting for God to act. Sometimes it's acting. Sometimes it's choosing to stop doing all the frenzy things we're trying to do and actually go, you know what, I need to trust God and not do this stuff. But whatever it is, trust is, is never passive. Jesus says, seek the kingdom. And seeking the kingdom by trusting is, is an active thing. Even on those occasions when it involves you not doing something, it's active. It's a choice. It's you saying, I'm going to put God first. I'm going to choose to think about his priorities. I'm going to look for what his heart is. I'm going to battle for faith because it never comes easily. It's always a fight to find the faith that lets you trust. I'm gonna believe him when he says he'll look after me. And that faith isn't a ritual to get you what you want. It's choosing to obey his will with the assurance that he will do what is in our best interests. And I truly believe that actually that there will be a day after Jesus has returned and wrapped up history, when all of us will kind of sit down and think, you know what, in, in the final analysis, when I think about my life, he did do what was in my best interests. I can't see it now. But I truly believe that there is a day coming when I will have the perspective that he does, and I will get it. And I will be able to say, he had my best interests at heart every single step of the way. So Jesus says, don't worry, seek the kingdom. Not that, this. Don't be like everyone else. Don't be like those Gentiles who run after things, trying to make everything happen. Look at your father, choose to follow him. And that's the question in front of us. Do we trust the father or not? Do we want to be centered on worrying about ourselves or do we want to be centered on him? Do you trust him? What we're going to do now, we, the man will play a song and we'll take an opportunity to look to God again and to worship him together. But right after that, we, we will create an opportunity to, in fact, well, I imagine we'll ask you to come at the front, to pray for anyone who is 
feeling particularly anxious in a situation right now. We all worry, but there'll be particular people right now who are, who are really facing it. Or to pray for those of us who feel, you know what, I, I don't think I can trust. And I believe that as the power of God comes, he will, he will give you a gift of that. Should we stand together? And let's, let's worship the Father who provides for us, who has done everything for us, and who loves us more than we can know.